Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that, well, is enjoying just a little bit more certainty this week. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, the doctor is in the house, though, today, a little more remote, Dr. Anirban Mahati. How are you, Doc? I am very good. I'm very remote. I'm remote. <laughs> well, not, not so remote, actually. You're not miles away from me, but we had an audio snafu. One of my microphone cables just stopped working, so we didn't have a choice of recording locally, uh, so we're going back to, well, almost back to lockdown times. Maybe it's appropriate, given the, the hassles and the struggles that South Australia is going through right now, but we are remote. We hope the audio holds up. We're pretty sure it will, but if we do have any glitches, our apologies, and we do blame the microphone phone cables and by the way the pandemic that meant that the cable i ordered on monday isn't here yet so there you go after all that how's that for a tangent but at least we at least we explained ourselves doc that's I, if, if we have glitches i wanted our listeners to know what was going on i think it's a great tangent fantastic right. <laughs> maybe we got a big big week this week we've had a lot going on i was you know when i started to write the agenda for today the, the little kind of the run sheet and i started with kind of you know not much going on, a little more macro certainty was the first words i typed and then we chatted and i added and added and added and it was, it's kind of been a big week, despite the fact that things seem to be calming down. We're going to talk about the macro, of course, uh, elections, vaccines, shutdowns, all sorts of stuff. We're going to talk about the RBA. I don't know, Doc, you will very rarely have a view on the RBA, but I'll I'll try and tease one out of you. I'll try and get you off the fence. Uh, we'll talk about property prices. We'll talk about the trade war with China. We'll talk about the casino that, frankly, may not be a casino for much longer. And because, well... Yeah. See, the thing is, listeners, this is in Doc's contract. I have to talk about Apple every now and again. So uh, so we are going to talk about Apple, but in, in all seriousness, um, this one's one I was actually really happy to chat about. Not that I'm not normally, um, but some really big and interesting news in consumer tech. And I think that's useful for understanding how the... Um, how the, how the business world is going to change, how the consumer tech world is going to change. Some really big changes there. And of course, Doc, it wouldn't be a Motley Fool podcast without dipping into the full mailbag. Should we get on with it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Now, mate, this week, as I said, I started, the, I started the little run sheet with a little more macro certainty, and then I put maybe with a question mark at the end. So let's, let's kind of, let's kind of t- you know, touch on some of this stuff. I guess we hopefully can put the US election to some degree behind us. Um, now, I will date stamp this again because things change quickly. We are recording this on Thursday, the 19th of November. Uh, the, it seems that despite some thrashing around, the US election is pretty much done and dusted. Uh, the Senate's still having probably a runoff in Georgia, and frankly, there are still court cases going on. So there's no, you know, there's no certainty yet, <laughs> but we think we're kind of on the back of that. And frankly, we now have a second vaccine, I think since last time we recorded. Uh, Pfizer was the first one out saying 90%. Moderna said 94%, which is the new one. Pfizer out overnight again, saying no, it's actually 95%. So this is kind of giving us some reason to hope. I guess if one is good, two is brilliant, right? Because it's always nice to have a fallback. If you can find two different ways to solve a particular problem, if one of them does happen to fall the last hurdle, that's probably a good thing. Um, and I think you mentioned to us in the in our Slack chat, team Slack chat this morning that the US FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, has put some time aside to consider this in, what, a couple of weeks' time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in the 8th, 9th, and 10th has been put aside okay. um, for... For I think considering uh, I think the approval is is almost imminent, it does given that like it, doesn't it? yeah, so it's the approval is imminent. It's great that there are two drugs with mm. roughly similar efficacies. So and well, the, the key thing is they're both working on very similar principles, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But you're you're a scientist by trade. Um, do you have any concerns? So I, I guess I you know I, I'm always a bit of a cynic, a bit of a skeptic. Both these companies decided to release this stuff via press release rather than via peer reviewed. Uh, research or via the regulators themselves there was a bit of a kind of a you know and 
I don't, am I surprised? Probably not, because if you're Pfizer or Moderna, you want to be able to say, hey, look at me, look at me, look how good I am. Um, although, as you mentioned, it wasn't actually Pfizer's deal. It was uh, some, some chemist in like, Germany, you said, uh, last week. But, you know, are you at all concerned that this is a little bit too premature? Are you comfortable that, again, we're not making promises and we're not going to roll it out until the FDA does have a look at it. But I don't know. I, I kind of feel like, yes, it's a big deal. It's the biggest deal in health in you know decades, if not a century. Yet, I, I would like a little bit more circumspection for them to go via the traditional channels first and at least say, look, we think we've got something. It's too early. We'll just, just so you know, we're going to submit some stuff for peer review. We're going to submit some stuff to the FDA. We'll hopefully have a positive outcome. That would have been the more circumspect way to do it. They've kind of gone out all guns blazing headlines and, and press releases and tweets. Does that give you any pause or is that just the world we live in? Yes, I'm going to do a little tangent. Right? So I'm a huge uh, believer in uh, peer review process. Like, you know, I think that the peer review process is very important. Mm-hmm. However, you know, the pandemic has seen actually some, uh, some fantastic yeah. deviation from that process. So a lot of research that has been published in top tier, like absolutely top tier places, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I wouldn't take names because I don't want anybody to come after me. But top tier places, <laughs> good point. Top top tier places which you would find very difficult to get in because it's highly peer reviewed. They've okay. published research, ongoing research without mm-hmm. much peer review, um, mm-hmm. about coronavirus and what it means and oh, and okay. you know, right. So, I, I think the entire peer review process has you know gone uh, downhill. Uh, in during this pandemic, so that's number one. To not, not, not the process mind. itself has gone downhill, but people are, are going around the process because of the immediacy of the stuff. Like the, the, the process obviously seems solid, but no one's using it. Is that what you're saying, or you're saying it's no? So I'm what, I, no, what I'm saying is that there is a there is a sense of urgency that if I don't publish it, somebody else is going to publish it, and therefore I yeah, should okay. publish it. Okay. And then if my if my journal is X rated with X impact factor, then I publish it. And then you know right. this is what I call the the misinformation campaign. I'm not talking about misinformation as implied. By politicians, but I think there's a, <laughs> yeah. there is a huge amount of misinformation because okay. stuff gets published at good places which people you tend to believe, except that they're not peer reviewed. Now, I'm not saying that all the stuff that's been published <laughs> is is garbage, but there's a lot of yeah. garbage out there. Yeah. Um, so that's number one. Number yeah. two is with these tri- with these trials, they will eventually get published. Here's the thing. I think the size of the trial should give people some comfort, right? So the Pfizer trial has 40,000 or something like that people That's with 20,000 20, 20, in placebo, 20,000 uh, getting the drugs, um, side effects are minimal. The thing that's not known is whether or not these things give you longer lasting immunity or do you need you know, multiple doses and things like that. Right, right, right. Those are the, those are the questions that you don't have answers for. What you have answers for is there is some immunity granted in for the period of analysis, mm. I think that's better than having Absolutely. no immunity. Yeah. <laughs> we'll take that. We'll take it every day and twice on Sundays, mate. At least until the solution. Yeah. Comes yeah. So I, I think I, I think that is uh, I think that's the win, right? And then we'll know yeah, totally. what happens over the longer term, um, right? Like, like yeah. there is no immunity against the flu, for example, right? These type of viruses, you just don't get immunity. You need to mm-hmm. modify for strains and things like that. You just have to accept that this thing. It's just not going away. It's going to stay in some form or the other, and you just have to adapt and hope these these virus these vaccines are able mm-hmm. to adapt, like they do for for the flu, right? I mean, so again, not to say that this is the same as flu, but I think it's the same category, and and therefore because it's the same category, I think you would expect similar mechanics uh, in terms of um, you know how it works. So yeah, no, I'm not right. I'm not concerned that okay, you know good. they won't be it makes me happy. Yeah, <laughs> they, you know, like if I 
if I, you know, I would say that, you know, there's a priority list of people who are going to get it or who mm-hmm. should get it, right? Absolutely. So, you know, the frontline people, uh, healthcare people, people with uh, underlying conditions, mm-hmm. and then general population. Yep. So, it, yeah, so I mean, there's, yeah, and then I wouldn't expect everyone's going to have it, like, just like everyone doesn't take the flu vaccine, but mm-hmm. as long as the vulnerable people are protected uh, from the vaccine, vaccination, well, that does the job, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, effectively. So, very cool. Thank you, mate. Good to hear a scientist's perspective. I appreciate that. So those, those are the big bits of US macro news. And I suppose we can say that some degree of certainty in the US, some degree of certainty on vaccines kind of takes a bit of, uh, I was going to say risk out of the market. That's a very short-term kind of, you know, market tradery kind of way to say it. But I guess what I'm saying is the, the market has just jumped phenomenally over the last, well, we're calling this on the 19th, the last 19 days. November has been a sensational you know, month so far for investors and a you know, long way to go because things can always change. But it does seem like the markets are pricing a lot more positivity, less risk, more certainty, whatever whatever phrase you want to use. Shares are still up a lot. I mean, the, the growth in November, I haven't got the absolute up-to-date numbers, but at one point was close enough to a, an average year's gain in, in the first kind of couple of weeks. I think we might have been talking about this last week. Um, it does seem like things are starting to go away. And then we've got <laughs> the RBA. So let, let's go to that one because if we bring it back here to home, uh, Governor Lowe saying during the week, a big speech to see to the Committee for Economic Development in Australia, saying that Australians and, and businesses all particularly need to take more risk. And I think, you know, the, the context of this was, look, we think the recovery is looking pretty good. We think we've got a decent chance of actually coming out of the recovery really well and reasonably quickly. But it does require some action. And this almost feels like Lowe saying, look, guys, I threw the kitchen sink at this thing. You guys have got to do something to help me out here because I've got you know very little left. I mean, he, has, he hasn't said that at all. He said the reverse, which is we do it if we want. But effectively, monetary policy gets really, really weird very quickly if he has to keep pushing the string. He needs someone to do something else. And we could say maybe it should be government, maybe it should be business. But you know, either way, I think this is – uh, I took it positively, but almost there was that kind of asterisk on the speech of like, and if you don't, you know, we will be the masters of our own destruction. Is too front, too strong a word, but we're the masters of our own, uh, uh, you know, domain. Either way, right? If we if we do things that grow the economy, the economy will grow. If we don't come to the party and and meet low halfway there, then they can't do anything to make people actually do stuff short of taking over businesses to actually create the growth that he's looking for. That that seems logical to me. It also seems a little bit kind of. Um, plaintive <laughs> because you know at some point you know the the, the 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 policies themselves should give businesses the intention otherwise to do so there's only so much more i think low can do yeah like so we've talked about this before right you know what you could achieve so uh, okay so fundamentally what he's saying take more risks create more businesses mm. right that's not really happening what's really happening yeah. is uh, there's more consumer debt uh, debt driven consumption driven so what I don't like and I've said this many times is I do not like this fascination right now like so all economists love to talk about GDP growth oh our economy is doing well because our GDP is growing great any GDP can grow because the borrow, government can bro- borrow money print some money <laughs> get people to buy jeans and stockings and stuff will look awesome except that somebody has to pay for the jeans and stockings down the road at some point, right? right. Be, be, at some point, because none of the jeans or the stockings <laughs> is, is being made here. So my question really is, what are you making out of those dollars, right? Yeah, right. Other than taking on more consumer debt, uh, more housing debt, mm. and so. So I think there's a there's a there's a huge I think, uh, you know, there's I think a lack of foresight, which and the foresight really is about 
I just need the economy to grow. If I can get 4% growth, 3% growth, it's awesome. How I got that growth, nobody really cares for. Mm. Or nobody's really thinking about it, right? And yeah, so I, I think that is, therein lies the problem. I think the problem mm. is mm. that you can't get growth. The uh, I can almost write it in a paper <laughs> and mm. guarantee it with stamp paper that you can't get growth by these policies because these mm. policies do not drive. These are not policies that drive growth. These are policies that drive consumption. You can then create a lot of debt to create consumption, right? You know, my house price becomes two million. I can go borrow from the bank 1.5 million. I can go spend it uh, on jeans and uh, a, um, you know Hilux um, because I can. And that is interim, yes, growth, but it is not creating anything. So um, you know, it's it's consumption driven growth. So I, I think therein this the, is the fallacy and and the and the problem, and it's what I call kicking the can down the road. Um, somebody's going to pay somewhere down the lane, right? Because where is the business investment happening um, is the question. I think so Lo is asking the right question, but he's also the person who has created the um, this uh, mirage that the economy is all fine and dandy mm-hmm. because the mirage is driven by um, consumer spending, which is all debt-driven or free money, right? And, you know, we all know that there's no such thing as free money. <laughs> well, there is for a while, right? But someone's going to pay the piper. <laughs> so, somebody's going to pay, and you know, as I said, it's 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 the kicking the uh, kicking the can down the yeah. road. It's um, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. it's a, a, yeah, it's equivalent of well, you know, the uh, climate change is not my problem because hey, who cares right, what's right, going to happen right. in three? I'm not going to be here in two hundred years, right? I'm probably so the, it's, the electricity it's, price today rather than, rather than climate change down the road, right? Exactly. It's it's that sort of yeah. it's so I yeah. think that is that therein is the problem, and I think yeah. it's a systemic problem. Um, so that's my tip. Very nice, thank you, sir. I uh, look. I I think I, I'm a little less I'm a little strong than you on this one, in the sense that I think there's I think the answer is probably both. I think there's a short term issue, as you say. I think probably there's both, right? The, the climate change issue needs to be resolved, and energy prices need to be resolved, and you can do a version of both or either, or, or you know, don't necessarily opposites or, or binary choices, right? So I think there's some element of Growth in consumption helps jobs in the short term. It helps economic activity in the short term. It does get the economy back on its feet. But as you say, it's not a it's not a permanent solution. I don't know there's much else in your policy uh, toolkit that you're suggesting, I think, which is the right thing for the long term that could fix the economy in the next two, two or three years, right, given the lack of kind of, you know, I hate to use the politician's term, shovel-ready projects, the idea that, you know, you can put a policy in place that in five or ten years might bear a lot of fruit. Uh, but you still got to feed some people today. And there's probably, I think, there's a bit of both to play. So I don't disagree with you at all. Um, but I do think to some degree, if we don't, if GDP doesn't grow and businesses don't have more demand, because GDP is a, is a function of, or is a, a result of demand for goods and services, right? If we don't have those, then businesses don't employ. And it kind of is one of those things where unemployment going to 15% for the next five years while we get to your policy goal, I think would be untenable. So I think it's probably, I, I would say, a bit of both just to get us, you know, or, or it's almost that, I mean, this is what stimulus is, right? It's that laugh, life raft to get us from one one place to the other when we get to that sort of promised land that we should also be working on at the same time. Oh, I don't I don't disagree. Like w- w- what I what I think I disagree with is stimulus driven directly uh, I guess long-term stimulus driven directly to consumer's pocket mm-hmm. is worse than long-term, you know, stimulus driven to businesses for growth. So if the stimulus was I'm giving you money for growth, mm-hmm. that's different from I'm giving you money for genes. Sure. Yeah. Right now Right now, the money is I'm giving you money for jeans, which you're going to, yeah. which somebody else is going to make. Somebody else, you know, somebody else is going to sell, and then you're just going to wear it and forget yeah. about it, yeah. right? I think that's the problem. Um, so, yeah. So 
I don't have a fix for it, but but I, <laughs> I can see that this is basically just kicking the can down the road uh, type of solution, um, which is what has been happening, for, you know, with, with uh, the RBS. Like, what is it that you can't achieve at 1% that you can achieve at zero? Yeah. And what is it that you can achieve at 2%? Yes, I understand. <laughs> right. Except for how you know, like property price inflation, which exactly yeah. does this laddering of debt, right? Everybody's in debt because, well, you can't mm-hmm. have that debt. Mm-hmm. You're going to spend that money, and the money is going to disappear. Mm. Yep, absolutely. And, and I should say, by the way, you're probably kicking the can down the road. I think you know we're at zero-ish now because we were low coming into this because we never really fixed the GFC problem. I think there is, you know, there's, there's a there's a TV chef, here's one I prepared earlier problem, which is we wasted the 10 years after the GFC not getting the economy ready for this point. And so to some degree, as you say, the lack of taking that long-term action then means we still haven't taken it now. We still may not take it, but but then rates are even lower and I don't know where we necessarily go from here with the next crisis. So we, we, there has to be a circuit breaker. Or bad, maybe I was going to say bad puns. Interesting, we're about to talk about South Australia, but there has to be a, a circuit breaker somewhere to say, hey, what, is, what does normal look like and how do we get back there so we have the ability and the ammunition to do different things rather than, you know, we've gone from, as you say, 7% to what, what 3 or 4% pre COVID now we're just zero. Maybe it was low on that. We're now at zero. What do we go minus two next time? I mean, this you know, next next crisis if we start from zero, there's a lot of places to go from there. Yeah, I, and and I, I think the the thing to realize here is, uh, you know, in theory, what you're trying to do is push the dollar down. Mm. Um, but if you don't produce anything other than stuff that you're digging from the ground, mm. uh, then effectively you're still at the mercy of the world, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, I think you do. If I think what you need to do is produce more value-added goods where you have pricing power, mm-hmm. and if you have pricing power, in fact, I think the problem is the need, the value-added goods that we are importing are going to cost more. Right. So uh, again, I'm not really sure about the strategy long term. It's, it's it seems like a poor strategy to employ. But also, as you said, like you know, it's basically ten years of uh, mining boom that has been wasted. Right. Ten years of mining boom. You know that. Oh man, you know, that was yeah. Yeah. So That's so if you've got ten years of policy failures, I think of of yes. the last. 20 years, 30 years. Yeah, so if you've got like, you know, the 10 years of mining boom, you've got this huge amount of surplus mm. capital that mm. you could deploy in many different ways. Um, you know, it hasn't been deployed, right? So I think that's, I think, yeah, so it's, I don't know what the solution is, but again, um, cutting rates to minus two doesn't look like the solution. <laughs> you wouldn't think so, would you? <laughs> Mate, um, so, so let's move on from, from that, although we will talk about property price in a minute. Um, the South Australia shutdown, of course, just taking effect last night. Again, we're doing this on, on, Thursday morning, um, hopefully only for six days. Hopefully this gets COVID under control in South Australia. But also, again, on the, on the kind of downside of, of the certainty we just talked about or the, the positive we just talked about, although we kind of got negative pretty quickly from the positives, um, wages are stagnating. I think that's the, the bit that concerns me, I suppose, overall is the question of, you know, we, we can't buy more, spend more, invest more until we start earning more. And there's a bit of a, this is kind of the double-edged sword, right? It's a bit of a horse and cart, chicken and egg, choose your metaphor. But... If wages aren't growing, people aren't going to be spending more. If people aren't spending more, wages aren't growing. And as you as you rightly point out, this maybe this is just a, a sub point of the last one, but stimulus in all of its guises, fiscal and monetary, doesn't yet seem to be working. Now, if I'm if I'm an optimist, I'm going to say, well, that wages growth that was a zero point one percent, I think, from memory for the September quarter. Um, you know, so that, that's that's about as stagnating as it gets without going to exactly zero. Um, I mean, maybe that's because look, September quarter that was the the depths of COVID. Maybe that's the worst it gets, and things start to get better. Um, but I do, I do worry a little bit to, to almost to kind of, maybe it's your point, maybe it's not, but a different version of what you were saying, which is the, the, the flywheel of the economy, despite the desperate efforts of everybody, does still seem a little bit stuck. Yeah, like again, I, I don't know what, 
what yeah I, I yeah I, I really don't know what why we should expect the wages to go up right so mm. um, I mean other than by inflation right because if the inflation is there then you'd expect well the wages are go up but there is no inflation really so the wages are not really going up well except and, that the problem is that inflation has actually been positive so a zero point one percent rise in wages actually meant a real cut in wages inflation was apparently 1.5 ish percent for that period so when wages only got one 0.1 effectively our real wage went backwards so it's even worse than that as you say yeah yeah so maybe maybe wages should go up by like one or two percent because inflation is around one or two percent like i mean again wages go up if you have more value add that you're creating Mm -hmm. because then that value add can charge more right Mm -hmm. but if if you're not adding value uh Right. I, I think this is where my, my issue is. So if, you, if there's yeah. value add is less, then you can't really charge more for that work. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so, so uh, I mean, on, on average, I think that that's where, where the problem mm-hmm. is. And again, this is not something that the RBA can fix because it's… I think it's, that's, that's it's, what it's, I… Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, what the, what the RBA could do is could be uh, a little stubborn and say, well, you know what? This is not my problem <laughs> because I can't fix it. So I'm not yeah. going to even give yeah. you room to breathe. You go and fix it. The people who are responsible for fixing it. So I think that's right. But it makes yeah. a standoff, right? I'm not going to do anything. You better do something. I mean, you know, we, we've, seen, we've seen that in the in the US. That doesn't always work because the, the politicians get get involved pretty quickly and tell the central banks what they should do, or at least uh, question their their positions, or or maybe a uh, chance of, of getting another contract. But as you say, it, it does seem like all the blame, all the responsibility is being shared at home to the RBA that probably shouldn't be. Yeah, because it's not their job. You know, yeah, I you mentioned higher wages, mate. I think that's for me the wages problem is a, a higher value in one sense. Absolutely, I agree. The other thing I think the other the other part of maybe the other side of the same coin is just pure productivity, right? So if you think about you know the the value created per hour worked, which effectively is what productivity is, right? If you can if you can produce more output for every hour of input, then productivity goes up. We're getting more for the same. Um, that's the definition of productivity. It, it does. It does strike me that whether it's whether it's higher value goods abs, uh, arbitrarily. So uh, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, <laughs> a fifty thousand dollar car rather than ten thousand dollars worth of iron ore that goes to make steel, it goes to make the car, for example, is one. Uh, but even just generally, the idea of how do we get more output for the hours worked? I mean, that's how we get more prosperity overall, right? Is the that that very simple idea? And whether that's higher value products, value added products, whether that's better ways of working or uh, maybe even just generally, you know, finding new industries where, and you know, you've said before, I think on this podcast, certainly separately, that, you know, Australian wages are high relative to the rest of the world. And so it's kind of incumbent on us to say, well, if we're going to have high wages, if, if that is going to be where we are, we have to find a way to create stuff on an hourly basis that's simply worth more. You know, you can, if you're employing someone for $5 now, you can make something that's, that sells for 10 If you're employing someone for $20 now, well, make something that sells for 10 or 15 or $20 doesn't really get you any anything from it. You've got to be able to produce something and whether that's again a national policy, trade policy, industry policy that says we need to, you know, actually move up the value chain in some degree or other, so so that the the, the output per hour of Australian worker worked is actually much higher than it otherwise might be. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Like, I mean, in I I think the risk really is that if you have a high value, if you're paying more for your wages, and there's no mm. there's no fundamental issue with paying more for something, uh, but the issue really is about. Uh, whether or not you're getting that value out of it, right? So, right, exactly. Yep. You, you know, a simple example might be: suppose you, you know you hire someone to do transcription, and mm-hmm. you land up paying them thirty dollars an hour for doing mm-hmm. transcription, and they produce five transcripts for you in that period of time. If the machine can do it for me, um, mm. you know, for thirty dollars a month, mm. <laughs> the same quality right, right, transcription, right. right? 
that worker no longer has the job, right? Yeah, I think yeah. that is where the problem is. So the problem is that you need workers to, it's a twofold problem. You need workers to move up the value chain, mm-hmm. right? And you need to be able to produce those things here so that you can employ those people to actually be producing that software that does that. Right. So I, I think it, it, so I think it's it's just I think the lack of focus I call it lack of focus on technology and mm-hmm. un, and a lack of understanding of how technology can. So a, a great example would be uh, Australia is blessed with a lot of sunshine, mm-hmm. a lot of mining, a lot of uh, you know a lot of opportunity to actually harvest uh, natural resources. Right. Mm-hmm. We should be leading in um, in say clean energy, but we right. don't, right. right? But as an opportunity that we're just letting it slide, right? So mm-hmm. we shouldn't let opportunities slide, which you know, which we are naturally well placed to take advantage of. It doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to close coal mining for that. It just means that we have to create the right environment mm-hmm. for supporting that other industry, which is eventually going to take over from coal mining, right? And mm-hmm. I think we need to also realize that coal mining is going to become eventually or over time, mm. irrelevant or mm. less relevant than it is today. I think that's important right. too, Matt, because I think the, the, what's important here is, I mean, you and I both are believers in the climate science, but but more than that, it, it, that your, your argument is purely an economic one. Even if you are, even if you are a massive climate denier, the, the simple reality of the way the world is moving and the economics of the, the industries you just talked about means that for a dozen reasons, there will be more demand for renewable energy, but there's less demand for coal. Renewable is probably yeah. going to be a higher output per hour worked to create because, frankly, once you put the – and I'll use a simple one – once you put the panels up, they're there for, you know, literally decades. Um, you know, so the, 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 the simple reality is that moving, moving across from one – Business like you know, it, it, there's no point in supporting the buggy whip industry when the cars are being made, right? There's there's some point at which you say, I love buggy whips. I wish they were around. They're, they're great. They're romantic. They're awesome. I love the horses, but the future is over here. And so, no matter what you think about whether it should happen or not, the reality is the world is moving that way for reasons you can even disagree with, and not you personally, Doc, but our listeners. Um, that's why you know there, there is it's a bit like ethical investing that I talked about before. It doesn't kind of matter what you think of it if if it's going to happen anyway. You can either be kicked, drag, dragged, kicking and screaming. And not capitalize on it. You can you can sniff the wind and say this is changing. Gee, if we can get at the forefront of this, if we can actually become you know, leaders in this, if we can make the investments now that are required to capitalize on this in the future, it's it's madness to stick your head in the sand and hope it doesn't change. Yeah, like exactly, exactly. Like you know, I call it you know, in many ways, it's it's good to be like a mercenary when you're thinking about capitalist work, right? <laughs> so, yep. uh, you know, it's my it's my favorite thing is to you know just think like a mercenary. <laughs> whether whether it's your portfolio, just be a mercenary. And and right, if you right. if you're thinking about managing business, like yep, yep. you know, honestly, as I said, put aside. <laughs> I don't care. It doesn't really matter whether I am a climate tree hugging whatever, right? right? Exactly. If yep. if Chinese and Indian um, governments are not going to be buying that coal to mm. fire their coal plants, well, the demand right. is going to go down. If they're going to be putting solar panels and doing whatever, not batteries, well, mm. then we are better off producing those things and selling it to them, right? Mm. So. It's a, it's a, it's a pure economic. I think you know. Sometimes just thinking from a pure economic point of view is, um, yeah, you know, if, you know, you you should you should be you know, uh, I guess uh, you know, trying to be where the you know going with the puck or being where the puck is going to be. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> not be behind it. I'll, um, I, I like your mercenary approach. I will I will soften it slightly and share something that's our, our colleague Andrew Leggett, who's been on the podcast before, says he says you know, in, invest uh, the way the world is, not the way you wish it would be. And, that, and that's kind of yeah. important, right? I, I would I'd probably add to that that you would say actually, and, and not, that, not that Andrew's wrong, but you would say invest how the world's going to be, not how the world is or how you wish it was. So there's that sense of yeah. like looking to the future and saying, you know what, it doesn't matter what I think or how I wish things would change. It, rationally, logically, with clear eyes, 
if I think the world is going to do this, even if I hate the idea that's going to do it, it, you know, <laughs> the personal feelings, you might as well make some money from it, if nothing else, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, you know, there are, there are lots of things I might not like, but hey, I say, well, okay, well, that's what it is. Then, you know, <laughs> I, I have to find a best solution. And, 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 and for yeah, exactly. you know, countries, countries like a system, right? And, mm-hmm. and there, is, there is benefit to the entire population from uh, trying, to, uh, trying to optimize for mm-hmm. that future, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, so it doesn't matter what I think about coal. It just matters that, well, everybody else is doing that. So. Correct, correct. Mate, let's move on. I won't spend too long on this unless you want to. You may want to because you do like a property price rant. So I, I will always leave the opportunity open because I'm going to rant a little bit later. Um, but I, I just thought, I thought what, I'd, what I'd mention is just, I, I, I know your thoughts on this, but again, maybe maybe taking that mercenary perspective, right? So property prices have been stagnating or falling and, and different areas have been different. We know on Sydney's Northern Beach, it seems prices have been rising. You've certainly been looking around the southwest of Sydney where, where prices seem to have been falling. Overall, CBA coming out with a new forecast only yesterday or the day before saying they expect prices to rise 5% in the next 12 months. And I I look at the other, I guess, well, I, I was going to make this about property and I'm going to make it about banks, but feel free to do either. We also have seen loan deferrals drop by 70% um, since the peak of, of COVID. If I'm a, and I know you're not a bank investor necessarily, but but let's be mercenary for a little bit. If I was someone who, who owned banks or was looking at them, does does it, it well? I'll, I'll make a statement. You can respond. It seems to me that most of the downside risks for the banks have gone away for the foreseeable future. If prices do rise the way the CBA expects, and I think there is some evidence to say they are stagnating or flattening, or maybe even rising in the sales data we're seeing. But even if they're not, and deferrals are down, it seems like the worst case scenarios have objectively been avoided. Do you agree? And and, and does that make you less concerned about? Bank solvency, even if even if we're going to invest in them, neither you and I are going to invest in them because we don't think they're market beaters. So purely mercenary approach, we don't think they're market beaters. But does the has the downside risk kind of gone away for those who maybe hold them and are saying, well, look, I don't really want to sell them. I got a big capital gain, or, or for whatever reason, I, I I would I would speculate that the downside risk is much 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 less than it was even two months ago. Do do you agree, or am I am I missing the point? You know, as I've said this before, right? You know, I. I waste exactly five seconds thinking about the banks. <laughs> uh, and I waste exactly three seconds thinking about other companies, which I think are basically like they're, they're living dead. Right. So, so, so the, you know, my theory is very simple, right? Why waste my energy thinking about these ASX 100, you know, dinosaurs that exist? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I want to make 20% today. Do I really care? Like, I want to make 15%, 20% compounded over 10 years. Mm-hmm. I can almost certainly guarantee, well, as as good as a guarantee is. I just started listing docs, so be careful what you're saying yeah, next. <laughs> yeah. But I, I feel I pretty good I know that the SX100 is not going to give me 20% compounded right. uh, over, you know, it just can't. And it, it sure. wouldn't for any number of reasons. Yet. So I just don't, you know, waste my energy thinking about banks. And I would advise all those other people, I would advise, mm. I would suggest, politely that you know <laughs> if you put billions of dollars of super fun money into these you know dinosaurs that are going to grow at like five percent give you some franking dividends like who cares you shouldn't be care you shouldn't actually worry be worried about it there are companies that are going to 10 bag in the meantime and you're worried about 20 percent. so that's what i think like you know hey good you want to buy the 20 percent? go buy it right and and then you know you can feel sad about it um you know when you're when you're going to look at that other person's portfolio oh, that, that that thing 10 bag i should have bought that right so you know it's just yeah i think it's just madness to to be worried yeah this is just like you know you get in at the right price get out at the right price get back in at the right price it's too difficult 
buy great businesses early, hold, 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 wait till they, they become almost dead, and then maybe sell them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I'm going to agree with you there, but I'm going to ask you again. Maybe you'll choose to not answer again, which is fine. Um, th- there are some other issues with banks, right? Now, we, we would say don't hold the banks. Now, I think we've made that. You certainly made that very clear in the last couple of minutes. But but if, if they, you know, it, do you agree with my assertion that the risks for banks are lower now than they were? Or do you still think, and again, I know you've only wasted three seconds thinking about it. So in those three seconds, um, is that something you think is, is likely to be true? Or am I being too pop- optimistic? Well, I tweeted saying that the uh, um, toilet mania is on and uh, funded by... Uh, uh, the toilet mania? Fun- okay. uh, yeah, yeah, funded and abated by the RBA, right? I mean, this thing can only end badly when I don't know, right? Because you can't just yeah, inflate... Right. You can't just right. inflate your way away. I mean, either the Australian dollar is going to collapse to like you know forty cents to the USD, or mm. something's got to give at some point. Mm. Um, but I don't know. Like I mean, <laughs> this just doesn't seem sustainable to me. So uh, you know, I wish uh, all the best to everybody else who wants to own them. Uh, I don't touch them. Uh, they're almost like you know, for me, that's like COVID. I don't want to get COVID <laughs> in my portfolio. <laughs> so so I'm going to stick. I think you've been clear. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I like my COVID-free portfolio that way. So, <laughs> All right. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, um, speaking, of, speaking of things not working and being a bit sick, the ASX this week, uh, was it Monday? I think it was Monday. Um, we, uh, Kevin, who works with us, joked about 10.30. The ASX went down for a couple of minutes and uh, Kevin said, well, I guess we might as well close the market now and go to the pub. And for the record, we didn't go to the pub, although we all work remotely, so maybe some of us did, I don't know, but I certainly didn't, you certainly didn't. Um, the That being said, the ASX was closed for the whole day. And interestingly enough, I was a little bit surprised. They reckon they've done four dress rehearsals. They're using NASDAQ software. I, I, I would have thought this is a reasonably low likelihood scenario given the work they'd done, given the platform provider they chose to partner with. Um, I will again. I'll let me let me editorialize first, and you can do it after me. Um, I think it's much to do about nothing. I think the the reality of you know we 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 are long term investors. The fact you couldn't transact for five hours on a Monday, you know, is kind of like neither here nor there. It could have been a public holiday for all anyone cares, and it wouldn't have been a big deal if that was a an impromptu Queen's birthday public holiday and the ASX wasn't open. The world doesn't end. But somehow we kind of like blaming people and things and complaining about the, the, the software and, you know, it's somehow some sort of international embarrassment. I think it's all a bit kind of overdone, right? If we just had a four-day trading week every week, it wouldn't be a problem. Um, I get, yeah, it's embarrassing. Of course it is. And yes, you know, it's not ideal. But it gets into me a bit like a storm in a teacup. Do you have a different perspective? Oh, lucky, you know, stuff like this can happen, so it's not a big deal. Like, I mean, you know, we are, as as, as, as the, in the Motley Fool, for example, restricted from buying stocks. Uh, like, there have been stocks in, in our internal database that have been, like, for example, locked for, like, say, a, you know, a month, right? Because yeah. for, for compliance reasons. So yep. we are kind of used to not trading. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and it's fine. Actually, not trading is, is okay. Uh, mm-hmm. and, well, you know, for high, high volume, high frequency traders, it might be a problem. Um, I'll just point out that what I read is uh, the problem was not, uh, was uh, the chess software, <laughs> mm-hmm. which has got nothing to do, which is I think an aging old software that these guys have got. Um, it's got nothing to do with the with the Nasdaq trading platform. I think that was the culprit. Um, that's what I last read. Um, okay. So. Is it a big deal? Maybe not. Maybe it's a big deal. I don't know. Like, I mean, um, what? It. I think the only question I would raise is if you can't, if for if you have to 
turn off trading for say whole day. Mm. Um, it does. I mean, you could question whether or not, you know, are we prepared for say hacking attacks? Are we, yeah. you know, if there's a denial of service attack or some sort of something like that, are we prepared for those sort of things? Those well, are the, the sort of questions. The stock exchange was down for quite a few days on the back of exactly that not long ago, actually. So they yeah, so you- face that 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 challenge. Yeah, but again, like I mean, you know, again, if we can just quarantine the attack and, yeah. and close the market, and then sort of be you know, sure that once the attack has been repulsed, we we're able to continue. Again, it's not a big deal, but yeah, like I, I mean, you know, but it was, uh, I would say there's not a big deal for us, but it's a big deal for some people who uh, who make who make who do you know make money on uh, on trades and trading in and out. Um, so Terrible yeah, news for the brokers, mate, who who absolutely make their make their money on activity. I have I have to say, I did tweet speaking of tweets that you said I did tweet at the time that um, I never never has so much money been made or, or saved for so many day traders and and uh, and hyper traders by the fact the market was closed. I, I'm actually pretty sure that while the brokers probably lost out on average, I reckon the investors are probably better off. If you, if you if you look at the sum total of of the the investor balance sheets on Monday compared to what they might have been on a normal trading day, I have a I have a suspicion that maybe people are actually better off because the market was closed, but that could be just me being cynical. Well, you know, you'd be happy with the market being closed for a year, <laughs> would you? Absolutely. No, more than happy, mate. I, I, but, I, but you, I, I did tweet in... But you, I think I did tweet. Go on, go on. I would just say that, you know, the, the only problem is you couldn't be able to recommend stocks to buy. <laughs> there is that. I, look, I, I mean, I tweeted partly in jest, of course, because it's never going to happen, but if the market was only up on a Friday... Or every second Friday. I mean, it's just not a big deal, right? It's like it's it, it, it's funny how we get used. To, it's we get used to stuff. The status quo is interesting, Matt. There's a there's, there's a psychological bias around this. Um, the the idea of the status quo of like you know we have of course we have to have the market open five days a week because that's what we've always done. And it's kind of like yeah, fine, but it's only open six hours a day, right? So if we if we had a market, or just say say in some parallel universe, the ASX was used is open eight hours a day now, and we said we're going to close it, we're going to make it only six hours a day going forward. The hullabaloo would be. Well, we can't possibly do that. Couldn't possibly work. This is going to be terrible. Look at all the changes. Like, how can I? How can I trade? How can I run my financial affairs? And anything that changes from the status quo, there's such strong, you know, kind of inertia in whatever we're kind of used to doing. If the ASX with eight hours went to six, people would cry foul. In fact, it's already six. No one cares about. If it went from six to four, we'd cry foul again. And it's just one of those things where it happens to be open six hours a day, five days a week. So that's what we're used to. And if it's any less, that'd be terrible for some unknown and you know made up reasons that people just kind of instinctively feel like if you change my thing, I'm going to make a, I'm going to find an excuse. I'm going to find a reason to say the thing I already have is the thing we need because of X. And any any change to that is 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 kind of the problem, right? I think that's the it's just a human a natural human trait. I mean, you've you invest in innovation, you invest in exactly that sort of disruption. The the you know the things that when when the incumbents say, well, we couldn't possibly change because uh, you're exactly investing in this kind of the, the solution to this bias, which is if you don't change with things, things will change anyway. Yeah, change is difficult. You know, like you know, my proposal mm-hmm. to ASX would be to uh, close on the weekdays and open twenty four hours on Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> just a really screw with people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, now we're only open on weekends. <laughs> <laughs> just, tell, just tell the boss, mate. We'll start making this work two days a week and paying us accordingly. So maybe maybe, maybe we should have the ASICs open 24-7 then we can ask for an uh, increase in pay. I'm not sure. All right. Mate, um, well, let's, I, let's, I, I like on. that idea. Like <laughs> yeah, except when, as long as you have to work seven days a week, um, let's let's go to let's make a bit a bit more macro again for a second. I just I don't know if you have a view on this. And this is kind of gets political super fast, but it was just worth noting China's letter to uh, officially leaked because that's how China does these things to Australian media outlets, pretty much saying that Australia has made China an enemy. 
And this is a meaningful escalation. So we've kind of referred to a couple of times over the last uh, couple of months, maybe. You know, it started with, was, was wine the first one? It might have been. Or maybe Australian coal. In any case, coal, then it was wine, then it was barley. Maybe there's always wrong. Cotton was involved. Lobsters were involved. Um, there's now, I think, 10 different Australian commodities that are effectively black banned from being bought by China, imported into China from Australia. And then trying to go in the full court press and now pretty much making this a national issue rather than pretending in the past that it was natural trade and they kind of done that to try and give us a message and whatever message they think they were sending seems to have either been not received or ignored by the government. And now China's pretty much come out and said, don't make us an enemy. That that feels kind of you know pretty risky for individual companies, for the economy as a whole, quite frankly. We much, so much of our economy is is tied to China. Um, is there an investing takeaway? Maybe there is. You know, is China too risky now to invest in? Um, is this just a natural escalation? Is it a short-term problem that we should look through? What are your thoughts on how we think about investing in an age where trade wars, geopolitics, tariffs, the whole box and dice is kind of coming back to rear its ugly head after three or four decades of, of slowly these trade trade disputes kind of slowly being taken away by people who believed in freer trade. It now seems like be more adversarial you know, actively fighting more of these things seems to be back in vogue. Yeah, I, I think this is a this is a hard one. I mean, like, I mean, generally speaking, I do believe like fr- freer trade is is good for everyone, right? So, um, I guess the investing lesson here maybe for people is if if a particular region and this doesn't have to be China specific, it could be you know mm-hmm. because my company is doing something in Japan or in India or in you know uh, South Africa or South America, mm-hmm. there, there is a higher risk to any business that has that it relies on one particular geography, um, mm-hmm. you know because because with one particular region you you are now tying in not just you know you you're really taking a lot much larger geopolitical risk. Mm-hmm. If you want to diversify, if you're if you're if you're investing, you want to invest in what I call truly global, right? Mm-hmm. Because that has a much larger cushion um, than uh, you know sort of pseudo global or semi global. In which case, you're just focusing mm-hmm. on one particular market, right? Now, focusing on one particular market can, uh, for some companies, there's no not much of a choice. So if you're a miner, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. your stuff is going to be yeah, brought right. by, bought by a few different places. Mm. Um, and that's okay because again, mm. if you're a good miner, your uh, <laughs> your goods are yeah. are necessary, right? And, and and the prices are sort of internationally, uh, you know, international exchange based. So mm. so I think that's my only investing take would be you know there's you know maybe assign a higher weight of risk to mm. companies that have specific and this is not just necessarily China specific comment, right? So you could invest in a company that has business in say Latin America, yeah. then you are taking in currency risk you're taking in geopolitical risk mm. you're taking in you know all the other stuff that comes in because again you're taking it it's basically the same as investing in a company that's just focused in australia right <laughs> so it's exposed is exposed to all the australian risks yeah, involved totally. right and we saw and often what happens is we might ignore the risks that are local to us because mm-hmm. well they're local to us and we might overblow the risks that are you know overseas so again that's you right need right. to think about that as well so you need to you need to you need to have your biases on the check so that's the only thing. I mean, the broader picture, though, is, I mean, if you think about it, um, again, like, I mean, the Chinese middle class is one of the largest or probably the largest in the world, right? So, I mean, you would expect over over a longish period of time, um, goods that are consumed by other parts of the world would also be consumed in China, right? And I, I think that, to me, is a good filter to think about, right? So if a good is is if some goods are produced that are consumed by 
Germans and Canadians and Americans and mm -hmm. you know Argentinians, they're mm -hmm. also likely to be consumed by Chinese people. Yeah, right. right? Okay. It's just by definition. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but 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 if I would also say that if something is produced that is not consumed by them, by the other parts, but we have some you know lopsided uh, China. Uh, arrangement that to me seems like you know that is almost seems like either that goes away or it's mm -hmm. going to be of a lesser uh, to a lesser degree successful and things like that. So it's a little bit of a strategy mm -hmm. thing. Uh, some businesses here seem to focus on the Asia angle because again Asia is nearby, and that's maybe fair because um, the size of the businesses that are trying that are small. So there's there's a whole heap of things to think about. I think for investors. Um, yeah, but I, again, I think it mostly comes to a risk-reward um, hmm. issue. You, you just have to consider the risks involved, which is not just yeah. with that specific region, but any other specific region. I think that's a really good point, mate. I think, and look, I, I have my own policy views, and I won't waste my, waste time on them here. I've certainly shared them on Twitter for anyone who wants to follow. If you don't want to follow, avoid that. Um, I, I think for investors, as you say, it's one of those. I I kind of take, you know, I think it's hard as an investor because we are to some degree at the whim of the companies that we invest in. And so diversification is probably the, the, the best solution, the best. Um, and I would say, we've said many, many times, you do most of your investing in the US, so do some of mine in the US. Um, we both said, be, be diversified in, in all sorts of ways. And I think that's part of it, right? So frankly, you know, you don't want all your money just in the US, you don't want all the money just in Australia or any country. Uh, but as you rightly point out, you know, whether it's Latin America or somewhere else, having owning companies that are listed in different places, but more importantly, have business operations in different places. So that you do have that natural diversification that if, you know, if Australia, frankly, you know, while we talk about China at trade war, a localized recession, either here or there, wherever, wherever we want to talk about, it is, is probably more likely or more, more threatening. So some to some degree, it is that sense of, understanding what your companies do, how they do it, how diversified you are, what risks you're taking. And also, I, I will add, by the way, take some of those risks. I, you know, we, we talk about diversification as, as a risk-lowering agent. That is important. But equally, we're not saying there are no risks or you can find a company without risks. We're saying understand what risk you're taking, diversify those risks. If you don't take risk, you're not going to make any money. So you need to take some modicum of, of decent risk, but understand who your companies are, where they, where they do their business, how they're run. Um, also, I, the other thing I would say, mate, is just you know as a business it would have been it would have been um irresponsible of any company in australia not to take advantage of the boom in china right you, you to, to, to have said in 1994 i'm not gonna i'm not gonna you know try and sell my stuff in china because if china gets too big then my business might falter in 2020 there was a lot of money made during the boom that you would not have wanted to say hey let's not do that but at a business level wait maybe one of the ways for us as investors to think about this is how are our businesses set up now i will i will absolutely a tag Blackmore's here. It's a company I own for the record and one we've recommended. Um, I both bought it and recommended it after the share price fall. But these, you know, Blackmore's went through the roof in, was it 2016, 17, mate? Something like that, maybe 2018. When their suitcase trade, the Daigu trade to China went through the roof. This happens to be out China, but it doesn't necessarily need to be. It could have been anywhere else. The reality was investors got excited that this thing would be a permanent change. And frankly, the company got excited and spent a fortune kind of resourcing up to a level of demand. And that demand was always shaky, and it's easy for us to say in hindsight, but I think it would have been fair to say at the time, gee, this might go away at some point. And if it does, how well-placed are we? And Blackmore's had, you know, has gone through a couple of years of pain trying to right-size themselves once that kind of you know, one-off demand kind of spike went away. And I think that's a, a worthwhile thing for investors to think about is if your company's growing fast, great, and the company should absolutely try and take that revenue. Of course, they should. Blackmore should always have tried to maximise that Daigu trade, um, but it was not in a place where it said, to itself if this goes away are we positioned to manage that 
And maybe as an investor, if you have a, a fast-growing company, we talked about, and maybe you should talk about this a bit more, mate, but things like customer and supplier concentration. Super, super important. It's one of the risk factors, right? How, how exposed am I to a particular supplier or a particular customer or set of customers? You guys talk about this a lot at EO when you go through, you know, sort of, you know, how many customers are there? What's the spread of customers? How important is one customer to your business? Maybe it's partly that as well as an investor thinking about not only where do your businesses do business, but also even even outside geographical mixes, just simply how immune is it or sub uh, or um, exposed is it to the risk that one or two customers change their minds to do something else? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I think those are great points, actually. Yeah, especially I, I like the point about customer concentration and supplier concentration. I think that's really, really, I mean, where that information is useful, I think available, I think it should be looked upon and thought about mm-hmm. and, and diversification. Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. Beautiful, mate. Uh, so speaking of which, though, because you guys do use it at EO, it would be a great time for me to mention your service, Motley Full Extreme Opportunities, and to give our listeners a chance to join you and Kevin at that wonderful market-beating investment service where you're looking for the big winners of tomorrow and, more importantly, the big winners of five and ten years out that have really, really good long-term potential for big, big, big gains. Now, that comes with a bit of extra risk, as we said, um, but, you know, it's a risk that you guys manage well. And again, while there's no guarantees about the future, certainly the past has been impressive and the investment approach you guys bring to the table, I think is one that our listeners really, really should look into, at least consider for themselves. They can find out a bit more at fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast, a special podcast link for our listeners. Go and join Doc for, well, what are we saying these days? Is it inexpensive but not cheap or something or... What's the, what's the official be- tagline from our listeners? I can't remember now. It's it's beautiful. It's wonderful. Come, go have a look. There you go. That's good enough. <laughs> Fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast. Mate, um, I was going to talk about a couple of things quickly. Um, would you like to, would you rather talk about Crown or Apple? I imagine you'd rather talk about Apple, would you? Oh, which one is more interesting? You think about that. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's do Crown very quickly. I'll I'll I'll, I'll summarise and I'll do the news right thing, and then we can talk about Apple. So Crown during the week, it's a recommendation of ours at Share Advisor. It's on hold currently. Um, Crown was told by the New South Wales Gaming Regulator that it may not open its new Barangaroo six-star hotel and casino, uh, basically because the regulator itself is undergoing a review to see whether Crown's actually a fit and proper business to own a casino license. Um, that's going to be bad news for the stock. It's pro- probably justifiably too, right? If someone says, yeah, I'm not sure if you guys can actually do the business that you want to do, um, that, that, speaking of diversification, that can really hurt a company. And so that's ongoing. There's certainly been in the news relatively regularly recently um, it's it, this is uh, to my mind some one of those things where the way you would do business um, you can get away with for a while but if you are going too close to the wind those things can catch up with you and maybe you get lucky and get out at the right time uh, but if you're not careful that can that can come to come to bite you if you're not careful and it seems at least for now Crown are going to have to make some really big changes they've already said they're now cancelling all junket operations except those junket operators that are licensed and supervised by the Chinese government so they've had to take the, the pain on that one now the New South Wales operator saying you can't open your casino, they've got a lot of uh, a lot of work to do. Doc, do you want to talk about that, or shall I move straight into Apple? Well, I have nothing to add. I mean, <laughs> I think the regulatory risk is very high. Is all I'm going to say, especially if the regulator is saying you may not operate. I know. That's a big problem. That's a huge problem, right? And you've got to say too, so, like if, if the regulator decides that Crown's not a fit and proper business to own a casino in New South Wales, you got to figure the Victorian regulators thinking. So hang on, if they found some stuff we haven't found, or they have a different view, it's one of those, it's, it's not there's no direct correlation. But uh, you know, again, maybe this is the year of contagion. But if you think about the risk of contagion of the Victorian regulator saying, "Well, hang on, we can't say you guys are okay if those guys said you're not," um, there is there is something of uh, potential dominoes about this one as well. I think so. I, I mean, maybe they're just setting up to get a get a fine and then move mm-hmm. on and improve their pro- which is probably the most <laughs> you know sure, that's part of it. La- uh, 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 um, likely outcome. But yeah, it's not yeah, not a comfortable yeah. place to be. 
All right, mate. Let's move, speaking of comfortable places, one that you're much more comfortable with. Saddleback, you're, you're talking on your Mac and your iPad and your iPhone and you got your AirPods in and it's just, it's, it's eye everything over at, over at the Mahanti household. Um, mate, uh, there is some big news in, in Apple's world and I, I this is one, one we've talked about before and one we haven't talked about before. So the easy one first, Apple, you're saying overnight, has cut its App Store fees from 30% to 15% of revenue for businesses that do less than a million dollars worth of turnover with Apple. Am I getting that roughly right? That's correct. And I think, look, I, I've said before, I think you even said before on the podcast, and we both said, it, the simplest thing for Apple to do to avoid some of the grief they've been, they've been wearing is simply say, well, we will make, we will just simply appear, seem less, um, uh, less kind of, you know, um, overbearing and, and, and less kind of, you know, monopolistic by simply saying, okay, we'll take this money. It won't cost them much. It'll keep everyone on the side, keeps the regulators away, keeps the suppliers, i.e. their, their develop, app developers still doing their thing. Um, it feels like a, it feels like a very simple. I mean, no one likes making less money, but this feels like the easiest decision in the world, isn't it? Yeah, like I would have gone as far as to say, you know, the, under one million, you pay only five percent. Like right, really, right. there is like you know, in many ways, it's in Apple's interest to actually grow the the, mm-hmm. the smaller ecosystem, right? It's it's great for developers. It's great for new businesses. Yeah, and it's just ta- taxing the bigger bigger. Nobody's going to complain about the fact that the bigger businesses are going to be taxed more. This is mm-hmm. you know. So I would That's have right. gone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, uh, I would have just you know gone with five percent, maybe some gradient five ten. 15 mm-hmm. and absolutely tax 30% from, you know, those those people, those companies that are turning over a billion dollars plus, like, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, via the Apple platform, absolutely, they sh- you know, I mean, that's basically sales and marketing, hosting mm-hmm. costs and all those things. I mean, you know, may- maybe they can come to uh, some other arrangement, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's a step in the right direction, maybe still a bit mm-hmm. too high, a bit higher than maybe what, it, what might be good for, I think, you know, a million dollar uh, turnover, but yeah, probably a step in the right direction. Nice. Now, I mean, the bigger deal, I think, certainly from your perspective, I'm sure you're right. I, I don't have a, lot, a big view on it because I'm, I'm not a deep techie like you are. Um, Apple has unveiled its brand new computer processing chip, one done completely in-house. I'm sure it's outsourced manufactured, but designed and kind of made to its own specifications in-house called the M1 chip. Now, this is, I think I'm right in saying, an extension to some stuff they've already been doing prior chips and other devices. Is that right? Or is this the first... Uh, yeah, okay. Dodge, Doc's nodding for those who uh, can't see it. Um, but this is a meaningful change. It, it, it really locks out the external chip makers potentially if Apple rolls us out across the entire ecosystem and it has the potential to do so and exclude people like Intel and AMD from the process, um, d- more deeply integrating its hardware and software and its kind of range of ecosystem of devices. That's probably a really poor example. I'm, I'm repeating what you've told me, I think, or I've, I've taken what you've said. What have I got right? What have I got wrong? And why does it matter? Yeah, so like so Apple makes its own chips for the phones, right? And makes its own chips. Now, I think the key difference is um, if you think about chips, the a company like Intel, for example, makes the central processing unit or the the, the basically the processor, right? Then yeah. you you every computer typically has like a motherboard or like a big big printed circuit board on which you mm-hmm. stick the CPU, you stick the memory, you stick the uh, signal processor, you stick the image processor, you stick other things, right? Cool. Now, what Apple basically does on the phone is it, it builds essentially all of those things into one chip, right? Oh, Everything right. is okay, on one. That. Yeah, okay, so cool, it, cool. It, okay. it's, it's, it's one unit, which is right. basically called s- system on chip. So that's the description. It's called a system on chip, which has everything. Now, okay. that has technical advantages in terms of just not just in terms of speed but in terms of um, uh, in terms of um, energy consumption in terms of tricks and things that uh, the computer can do right so That's for cool. example um, 
for example, the, the quality of, say, the camera using the same hardware is significantly better on the iPad and iPhone than on the Mac. And the reason is that there is image processing happening on the Mac, on, on the iPad and the iPhone, which mm. does not actually happen or can't be done on that power budget and those CPU budget that you have got on, oh, okay. on the Mac. So right? it could so, be done. It could literally be technically achieved, but it can't be done as efficiently as it could be if it was a single chip. Is that yeah, yeah, so, uh, yeah, okay. yeah. Everything and everything and anything can be done, but it is, okay. there was always a power, uh, power versus um, performance versus you right. know there's a cost curve, right? So so this basically does allow Apple A to homogenize everything across its platform, right? So basically, right. all the chips, all the in, in, all the elements are there. It allows Apple to have significantly better power profile and a, a, a power consumption profile, mm -hmm. and significantly better uh, performance to power profile. So, in, in other words, it, it, the, the way to think about this is there are no there are no chips today in smartphones that even come close to the Apple's latest iPhone, right? So, in fact, right. there will nothing that will come close to last year's iPhone. And let me let me just now, for a second just to explain. So, when you say cut, don't come close, just for non techies like me, in what ways don't they come close? What what is different about the the current chip? Okay, so if you just think about the speed. Mm -hmm. Like you think of processing capability into it, how responsive it is, what it can do on device versus right. the other other chips uh, that are on other smartphones. You just can't do that today. Like so, and again, for example, because they've chosen not to do it because they can't do it power efficiently. Well, they can't. I think on the phone they definitely can't because you know you you know like I mean you can't throw in a cooler like you can't throw in a yeah, fan right, okay. right right. So most 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 desktops would have or most right. laptops would have a fan. Right, uh, you can't have a fan on that device. <laughs> what this means, yeah. you don't have a fan on the iPad, for example, right? So if yeah. you bring the iPad chip onto your Mac, now the latest MacBook Air does not yeah. actually have a fan. Oh, that's cool. It, that's right, and now from a consumer's point of view, from mm -hmm. a, just from a consumer's point of view, here are the benefits, right? The latest Mac that have been announced has 18 to 20 hours of battery performance. That's 18 cool to 20 really hours cool. of battery performance. And that's for watching videos. Like you can yeah, watch nice. 18 hours of video <laughs> and it's not, nothing's gonna happen. Yeah. But for, now from a professional's point of view, somebody who's like coding, that's 10 yeah. to 12 hours of coding without, you know, you can basically be coding anywhere. Mm -hmm. Now, and it'll be, it's, it's, it's significantly faster and doesn't consume power. So that's one, one advantage, right? And the price is actually $100 less than last year. Nice. So this is gonna squeeze the, you know, the Windows market further mm. that's number one mm. number two i think is i think the, the other bigger thing is because the code base is now the same and um the the platform on which the code base runs is the same it mm. actually allows uh apple to get all the iphone and ipad apps to actually work on the mac so oh, it's allows, okay right so, brings so the this allows, closer together yeah so this basically makes um, the three things it blurs the lines between those three things, <laughs> right. and 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 from a developer's point of view, this is like you know, uh, you know, like Christmas because you can you get faster, cheaper, and better in many right. ways, right? But I think if I have to project for, for further, I think the reason for doing this is not just those reasons. Yes, there's market share reasons. So this is going to basically steal market share for Windows. That's almost guaranteed because now if I can buy a Mac at 
like $800 US versus, you know, buying a Windows. I mean, you're going to buy a Mac, right? Unless you're fanatical about having Windows. Uh, That's number one. But number two, I think the bigger reason is that this is basically setting the stone, uh, setting the stage for other types of devices that you would have that would work with all of these things together. So, uh, yeah, like uh, I think this is, again, from a technical perspective, uh, it represents a big shift in how uh, desktops are built I think it has huge impact on the for the developer community and what types of the de- how the developer community is actually going to develop things. Um, it's going to make development of applications across devices and platforms much easier. Um, and it's 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 a market share uh, play at the same time. So it's it's a very smart and it's it's you know it's ten fifteen years of work mm-hmm. that is seeing culmination, right? So you know the Apple's been building the chip since what iPhone three or four, iPhone four or five. I think iPhone five and right. So, you know, it's, yeah, and clearly what they're basically saying is we've got the best chip engineers, best <laughs> best chip engineers uh, on the planet. We can basically do stuff that others can't. And this is just basically sets them further and further. So their lead just got widened by like a mile, right? And there are other things you could do. You could take the same architecture and deploy it in, in the cloud to create cloud servers. Uh, I don't think Apple is going to get into that, but you know the architecture is designed in such a way that this is probably the architecture you want to employ in mm-hmm. uh, in in the cloud, where you want to actually reduce cooling and you want to be more efficient, right? Uh, yet have high performance. So if you're doing you know edge computing or cloud computing, this is the type of architecture. So there might be some other longer term plays here, uh, but in, in the short term, this is a market sh- a market share and mm-hmm. ecosystem play. Very cool, mate. Thank you for the summary. That's um, some really cool tech. Speaking of which, let's finish with a question from our mailbag because it was a question from Miguel during the week. The, it's a very simple one, but it's a very important one. I want to think you may have a view on you may not. Miguel says, great podcast. Has Thank you, Miguel. Has the market overreacted on the tech sell-off? I don't see how a vaccine materially changes a lot of these companies. Now, Doc, you and I talked about this a little bit last week, but you talked about the, the way the market responds and there were some really huge falls. Zoom fell 18% in a in a single day um, on the back of the vaccine news when it was first out. The sense that whatever positivity was built into share prices, um, whatever whatever expectations were built into share prices suddenly has gone away. Now, I I think there's a couple of thoughts here. I'll get your thoughts. My, I think we, you know, there's, there's a couple of things. First is... I wonder whether there are some investors who own tech because I felt like it was the only place they could be, and so those people went, "I oh, think I don't have to own Zoom anymore. I can own less, or I can own less Zoom, or whatever. You know, we pick your company, whatever company it is, um, simply because the business itself. Yeah, you know, I, I bought it because I felt like I had to, um, and and so now I don't have to as much because there's other, uh, you know, there's other things related to that. I wonder whether there's some sense of people who sold travel or retail or entertainment or whatever stocks and went well, I can't own those I've got to put money somewhere I guess I'll buy Zoom so it's kind of the same thing but in one case it's it's now safe to go back in the water on some of those other stocks and so the money's got to come from somewhere um, there is a sense that the most bizarre thing I think is people who somehow think that Zoom was going to be the only option for the next five years and suddenly now there's a vaccine they didn't expect to see coming I think that was always if, if you held that view always naive but but possible and, and, and reasonable um, or is it simply a case of just you know the 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 removal of fear, the the sense that you know uh, the the market is no longer the uh, you know the old Tina Tina acronym. There is no alternative, which is kind of a bit bit of the same as what I said before. But the sense of like you you had to be in tech, you had to be in tech, you had to be in tech, and once the shares started falling, it was a momentum trade, and what just got out. Is it any of those? Is it all of those? Is it something completely different? Um, 
more importantly, I suppose the question is, you know, has the vaccine materially changed those businesses? Yeah, so it's, it's possibly a combination of those and many other factors, right? I mean, all, uh, people who manage money, right? So they have, and if, especially if you have short-term targets in terms of, you know, delivering returns. <laughs> if, if, you, if your target is to deliver 15% return this year, somehow, mm-hmm. um, you are always on the lookout, right? So, this, this, you know, <laughs> right. so this, this, the, you know, the question you asked me about a bank, right? Somebody, you mm-hmm. know, I can understand why somebody would buy the bank because, well, they're interested in that 15 20% trade for this year. Mm. right they're going to buy it and then sell it later right and it's a style of investing and a lot of people do that um so all of those people or some of those people have moved on as you said to these other things because they had no alternative and now they think that well you can i can do this so they're now moving back into this and selling that um Mm. all of that is just in my view this is all normal volatility right i think if somebody i think as you rightly pointed out if somebody thought Zoom is going to be the only, or you know, I'm using Zoom as an example, or Microsoft yeah, Teams or yeah. whatever else exists. Yeah, yeah. If you thought that is the only ever alternative for conducting business, then I think you were just <laughs> right. kidding yourself. At the same time, if you now think that just because a vaccine is out, mm-hmm. that you know offices in the downtowns and you know city centers and everything else are going to all of a sudden fill up and life is going to be back to five days a week in the office, that too, you're kidding yourself, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so... I don't know. Like, I mean, you know, you have to consider the current value and then think about what the future value is and things like that. So if if, if those if that maths was correct and mm-hmm. if that math still holds, I see no reason why somebody would sell, you know, Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever else for something else. And I would say the same thing for, I don't know, Booking.com. If you had Booking.com last year mm-hmm. and then COVID happened, I mean, mm-hmm. Did you really need to sell it? I mean, you probably didn't need to sell it if you thought that Booking.com is going to give you your 12% annualized return that you're expecting of it for the next decade, right? So I don't know. Like, I mean, there's a there is probably an opportunity, a mercenary opportunity, as you say, but it's for those people who, those people, I think, who can time in and out, remembering that everybody else is also trying to time in and out. So, I mean... <laughs> First, you have to time it, and then you have to get in before <laughs> other people get in before the price moves up, and then get out before the price goes down or whatever it is, right? So I don't know. Um, that's my take on it. So, um, yeah. I'm going to add my two, my two cents to some of that, just just in, in again, in human behavior. Um, and it's more to kind of the status quo effect that I mentioned before. I think there's some sense, and I don't, I don't have a strong view on this one. I don't follow enough of the tech stocks enough to really have a view on the overall sector. But Miguel, what I would say is that we, we look at, humans are funny, right? We say the shares have fallen 20%, is that too much? And it kind of, it's the right question, cause it, but the, the, the better question might actually be, and, and I know it's inferred in the question, but is today's price attractive? Now, the reason I ask that is, let's say Zoom is $400 a share currently. Let's say that's what it is. If it had gone up from 300 to 400 over the last week, or down from 500 to 400, it's still 400 bucks. And we might look at the 300 bucks up to 400 and say, wow, is it really worth up going up by a third? And if it falls by you know, 20% from, 50, from 500 to 400, we say, oh man, is it really that bad? It's you know, fallen by 20%. Um, the question is probably, like it's, it's, a, it's an interesting starting point, but the better question to ask is, is $400 an attractive price to buy the stock? Because if Zoom was in, in the alternative universe, 300 bucks now up to 400, we'd be saying, man, Zoom's up 30%. Is the market overreacted? And I think that you know, it, it, it implies that the first price is right. And so we're asking ourselves, is the, is the change valid? And I think it might be, respectfully, the wrong question. The, the right question might just be, you know, rather than worrying about what the previous price was, whether it's up or down or backwards or sideways, really the only question is, is today's price attractive? And I think that's uh, uh, something I'd leave 
our listeners with as we finish off this podcast, Doc, is just to remember that, you know, that, that kind of thinking implies, well, the market was right before. Is it now wrong? And I think it's always worth asking, um, you know, ignoring the fact, you know, what, what the previous price was. It's like readers who look at the price say, oh, it's up by X, therefore, does that mean why? You know, people say, oh, it's up 20%. Is it too late? Or it's up 20%. Now the market loves it. Same question, same, same, different question, same stock movement, maybe different outcomes. The only question that really should matter is, is the current price attractive relative to the future? Whether or not the shares have fallen or, or risen should be of absolute zero consequence. The only question is, am I going to make money from today? Any other thoughts on that, mate? No, I have nothing to add, sir. Beautiful. That's it, mate. Just before we do, though, if you want to follow Doc on Twitter, you mentioned his tweets. What did you tweet about this morning you mentioned? I can't remember now. Oh, the tulips. There you go, the tulip mania. So check out Doc's tulip mania tweet at Anirban Mahanti, A-N-I-R-B-A-N-M-A-H-A-N-T-I, Anirban Mahanti on Twitter. I'm TMF Scott P. It's Scott with two Ts. T-M-F-S-C-O-T-T-P or at the Motley Fool AU. I won't spell that one. You can work that one out for yourself. Um, that's our that's our Twitter account. On Instagram, my account and the Motley Fool's account are the same. Doc, I will check just to make sure you haven't joined Instagram in the last week, have you? Not told me? No, no. Okay. No, no so Instagram. at TMF Scott P or at the Motley Fool AU. And if you're on Facebook, the Motley Fool Australia or Scott Phillips Money. And lastly, if you do want to send us an email, feel free to do that. Please do that. Info at fool.com.au and our wonderful member services fools will make sure that we see those emails. All right. And before you go, do one more thing for us. Please subscribe to the Triple A Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes, your favorite Android podcast app or Podcast One. You might see some new artwork, by the way, now on our little podcast logo that's our new logo so if you've seen that i hope you like it and if you like what we're doing please give us a rating not about the logo though feel free uh, tell us how great we are how, how smart funny good looking uh what else mate is that about it humble <laughs> we are uh, <laughs> please let us know give us a rating please leave us some stars if you wouldn't mind uh, it helps other people find the podcast and frankly makes us feel good too and you know we're nice people all right don't forget you can also get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple m triple m that's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. Will you be back on Sunday, mate? Do you reckon? For a mailbag? I think there's a very good chance we will. <laughs> Let's find out whether we'll be back on Sunday with another dose of foolish insight. But for now, fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.